The Boys of Tech with Edwin Herman and Friends. indeed and welcome to another episode of the boys of tech new zealand's longest running tech podcast my name is edwin herman and this is episode 166 for monday the 14th of may 2012 the show is recorded live from our studio right here in wellington new zealand and joining me on the panel this week is brett king welcome along brett howdy how was your week pretty good Nothing much interesting happened, but it wasn't crap. And well, that's that, always good. That That's always good. Now, looking ahead at some of the stories uh, we've got in this week's episode, the SMS text message turns 20, a major bug exposes passwords on Mac OS X Lion, and Windows 8 out of the box won't be able to play DVDs. But first, we kick off the show this week with a continuation of a discussion that started last week about Wiretap Studio under OS X Lion. Now, for those of you who don't know, Wiretap Studio is an application made by Ambrosia Software. It lets you record the audio stream of pretty much any other application. It's a fantastic piece of software, and in fact, I'll tell you what, it's an important tool in the production of this very podcast. Yep, we've used it in all 166 episodes. Now, if you were to visit the YTAP Studio page on the Ambrosia website or indeed even in the Mac App Store, you'll see a note that says per application recording is not yet available under OS X Lion. And to help us explain why, we have Andrew Welch from Ambrosia Software joining us live from New York State. Welcome to the show, Andrew. Thanks, Edwin and Brett. Uh, Thanks for having me. Oh, look, it's our pleasure to have you on the show. Indeed. We started talking about this topic last week. For the benefit of our listeners who perhaps didn't hear that, YTAP Studio, as I mentioned, a piece of software we've used from day one on this podcast, it lets us record the audio streams of whatever applications we want to specify. Now, under OS X Lion, that functionality is not available. And I was wondering, can you sort of take us the reasons why that is? And perhaps we can go into the aspects of the changes in OS X that perhaps might be the reason for that? Um, sure. Let me give you a little bit of uh, background first. Um, being a developer of utility software for the Mac has always been slightly dangerous, I would say. Every year at the Worldwide Developer Conference, the developers sit and watch the uh, keynotes, and we have what we call a death watch. And that basically means we're looking to see what products Apple has killed off in their latest uh, operating system version. Um, In the past, a lot of that had been uh, their inclusion of features that uh, developers had written uh, in the actual operating system. But what has been happening lately is that Apple has become very security focused and they actually have the the security team has been leading the OS development, uh, starting with Lion uh, and then going into Mountain Lion so that many of the features that are in the operating system are 
they're they're being pushed down from the security team essentially. So what we're looking at in terms of the problems we had with per application audio recording online, they're actually two entirely separate issues. One of them is that they completely changed under the hood how audio streams flow through, you know, on a, on a technical level. And the other is sandboxing. And uh, do you know much about uh, how applications are sandboxed? Uh, not a lot. Limited knowledge. So what Apple is really doing is macOS is becoming more like iOS in that everything is becoming a, very much a walled garden in, in terms of each application is in a separate address space. But above and beyond that, you're getting more and more restricted in terms of what you can and can't do. Currently, in the, the Mac application store, when you submit an application to them, they actually go through the application and check to make sure you're not using any uh, system calls they don't want you to use, et cetera, et cetera. Whereas prior to that, you know, if you're writing software, there was nothing like that. Right, but, um, and they really are becoming the gatekeepers in that sense. Right. But um, at, you, at this point, you're not obligated to de- release uh, applications via the App Store, though, correct? That's true. Although it is becoming something that you're eventually going to be, uh, eventually you're really going to have to do it. If you want to um, remain competitive, right? If you want to remain competitive. But there is a, a second aspect to it, which is that other applications will be what is called sandboxed. So what does that mean? Essentially, that means that the application has to be entirely self-contained and there are a number of what we call APIs that you can't use if the application is sandboxed. So our problem was really twofold. One was we had to rewrite from the ground up the way the audio system works on on Lion to get it to work. Uh, And we had a plan in mind for that uh, as long as a year ago. The second problem was other applications are going to be required to be sandboxed for submission to the Mac App Store. Originally, that deadline was November of last year. Then it moved to February of this year. And now they they still haven't uh, they still don't have the requirement that applications are sandboxed. The reason that's relevant is we have an additional problem with applications that are sandboxed and attempting to record from them. Sandbox applications don't load any third-party plugins. They don't load any third-party code at all. Uh, They're very walled off. Um, So, for instance, um, are you familiar with uh, audio units? Yeah, yeah. In fact, we we use them in in this podcast. Okay, well, as soon as um, whatever applications that you use audio units in, as soon as those are sandboxed, no more audio units. Those are gone. (laughs) Gone Uh, What, you mean gone completely? Gone completely. So, how, uh, wow, that's that's scary. Yeah, wow. <laughs> so how are we going to do our audio processing? Don't use a Mac? Well, <laughs> that App, depends. Spe- or is that going to be app-specific now? Well, e- each developer chooses whether their application is sandboxed or not. But the way Apple is really pushing everybody towards having their app sandboxed is very soon they're no longer going to accept any applications in the App Store that are not sandboxed. Okay, and there are a whole bunch of things that are going away. Then it is possible that some Apple standard audio units will work, but no third party ones will. And pretty much anything that is a a third party plugin just won't function in a sandboxed application anymore. And 
the reason that's relevant for us is that we had a plan in mind for attacking Lion and getting that fixed, but we weren't sure what to do with sandboxed apps because it really is Apple's attempt to completely wall off applications from each other. Yeah. And and it's really, really difficult for us to do that, <laughs> to get that to work in a way that Apple will still then accept our application in the App Store. And we decided, and I now regret this decision, but we decided to take a wait and see attitude with sandboxing because Apple was actually pretty vague about the technical details and what would and wouldn't be allowed. And we thought that would be evolving over time and we would know exactly what was going on. But as I mentioned earlier, their deadline kept on getting pushed back from November, then to February. And now it's still, you know, somewhere down the road. So we made the decision to wait for Apple to get their sandboxing implementation complete because we knew that the technique that we were using would not work with applications that were sandboxed. So, for instance, we would have Wiretap Studio and certain applications that you might have. It just would be unable to record from them. And we thought that that would be a pretty bad user experience for people. Mm. Uh, and, and that's the reason why we, uh, we have one in beta test right now. But that's the reason why it's still not working on Lion. Uh, it's really a twofold thing. I don't know how in-depth you want me to get uh, under the hood in terms of what they did to rewrite their audio engine in Lion. But that was one problem. Uh, yeah, the well, second problem is yeah, the sandboxing. Yeah, can you, do you, can you take us through the sort of audio pipe of, and how that's changed and uh, OS ten line? Okay, so essentially what happened under all previous versions of Mac OS X is that when an application launched and it was a, an application that used audio, it would open up a connection using, the, uh, using an audio stream and it would open up a connection to a device. And that's where we tapped into that audio is that connection between the application and whatever output device it's outputting to. Right. What they changed in Lion is they now have a daemon process called Core Audio D. It's actually been around for quite some time, but they expanded what it does. Now, any application on macOS Lion, instead of opening up an audio stream connection to the device, it opens up a connection to Core Audio D. And then Core Audio D is the only thing that opens up connections to output devices. Oh, I see. So, so that sort of ag- aggregates all the, the all audio, and that's the mm. only one that can go out to an output device, as you said. Correct. And the connection <laughs> is directly from the applications to Core Audio D. So the, the vector that we were using to intercept the audio is just no longer there. It just doesn't exist. Was there any uh, reason given for the change? Um, it's actually from a technical level, probably a, a good change. Getting engineers at Apple to explain why things were done is kind of difficult because many times for political reasons, they know their managers won't want them to say anything. Um, <laughs> you know, I mean, so they'll, they'll give you standard answers. So I mean, there may be very reasonable um, technical reasons why they did it. It also does make it a lot easier for them to... Uh, control the entire audio system because it's all going through one process that's sitting oh, there. Oh, indeed. Indeed. Um, I mean, who knows whether it may end up being DRM related? Who knows if it may end it up being... It would not surprise me. 
well, well yeah, to, to get the real answers to get the real answers we need to get an apple engineer and take them out for a beer and have a chat over a beer that, that's that, what we do at <laughs> wwdc is we take ah, them out right. and we we get them loaded and then we find out the real deal but in some ways the reason why doesn't really matter because apple is the 800 pound gorilla and you know the the reason why it's stomping all over you doesn't really matter so much as the fact that it is yeah correct <laughs> yeah, yeah absolutely absolutely yeah. so the, the thing is you know the thing i don't quite understand is the inability to tap into that connection, that can't be security related, right? I mean, it's only an audio stream. It's not a data yeah. stream. So You would be surprised about what they would consider to be security related. And Looking, is it security or is it control or is it somewhere on their roadmap they trying to get rid of certain things? Yes. <laughs> yes to all of the above. Um, <laughs> It definitely is that they're moving the operating system more towards the iOS model, uh, which is very locked down. Very um, locked down, very restrictive, very unable to do anything. Well, and it, it does create a challenge because at least some portion of our software has always been about writing very clever, uh, low-level code that does things that other applications can't do. Yeah. Um, and, and Apple is essentially coming in and saying, well, that entire class of software, you can't do it anymore. Yes. Yeah, so a lot um, of utilities <laughs> fall into that category. I mean, we yeah. also, oh, yeah. uh, we purchased Snaps Pro as well, uh, mm-hmm. you know, for recording the screen. That's from Ambrosia too, isn't it? Yep. And that, that's great. Uh, and I'm guessing, does that also mean that that's not going to work or, or they can still? Um, well, that is always done system wide audio when you do audio recording with it. So it actually doesn't have this problem. Right, and then in the screen view, the the actual, the, the, you know, the ability to capture the the video, the display, you're not hindered by that. Well, <laughs> I mean, behind the scenes, we've had to rewrite the way everything works pretty much every time Apple does a major OS release. Oh man, that's uh, a lot of work. Yeah, it's not fun, but obviously people expect it, and they expect that it's going to work. Um, the real difficulty is that they're essentially saying that a lot of the cool, clever things that you used to do, you can no longer do. And we're often faced with the choice of creating something that is less than what we consider to be an ideal user experience, but we have no choice because Mm. we know that either what we're writing, they're going to break in the future or what we're writing, they will reject from the Apple store. And it does (laughs) very, it does really limit the, the kind of thing that you're going to be doing. Yeah. Um, It, it, it's going to stifle creativity, I think. It's going to stifle creativity. They're really kind of shooting themselves in the foot for some things because there will be some people who utilize certain pieces of software, certain utilities that are core to what they do. And under the new OS ten versions that come out, they're going to be able to do less and less of what they want to do with the Mac that they bought. Yeah, uh, that's very true. I think Apple's kind of attitude towards that is, and and it's understandable. Is that way? Yeah, essentially, yes. But also if uh, you have an application and your average user upgrades to their latest operating system and that application no longer works, from the user's point of view, that's the developer's fault. You know, the the app is is broken. 
Um, mm. Most of the time, it's actually Apple that broke it <laughs> because <laughs> exactly. of exactly when it's the operating system manufacturer, you know, the operating system developer themselves removing features that make other applications no longer compatible with that operating system. Then right. it is the operating system developer's fault that those other apps no longer work. And so, as long as People need to be told that the reason that your Mac is no longer able to do what you want it to do is because Apple decided to upgrade and stop your, yeah, stop you from being able to do what you want to do with what you paid a large amount of money for. Right. And, you know, they're not doing it for no reason. And every operating system, you know, things change, things evolve, and we're used to having to redo and rewrite stuff whenever that happens. Mm -hmm. Uh, The real difference here is that. Apple is essentially saying, okay, here are all of the APIs that we have for programming. And then a a, a subset of those, they say, okay, here is what you can actually use to write something now. (laughs) And it's a much Um, shorter list, right? (laughs) A much shorter list if you want it to be in the Mac app store. That's shooting themselves in the foot. Sure, upgrading your operating system to make it more efficient and all that sort of yada, 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 but still providing the same features and facilitating the, you know, the same interactions for developers creating applications to run in that operating system. So it's perfectly fine to upgrade your, you know, to upgrade your operating system and those and that, which means that people will have to rewrite their programs to work in your operating system, but still providing the facility so that those programs can be rewritten to still function in your operating right. system. When you're closing out whole, when, when you're closing out um, feature sets, when you're closing out APIs, then you are limiting and basically, you know, cutting off what people can do with your computer. Right. And it normally wouldn't matter because we have, uh, there are many times that we've needed certain functionality that we've just gone out and uh, and rewritten it or done whatever we need to do. The mm-hmm. rub comes in when you want to submit your app to the application store, because if you are using any of the APIs or any clever methods that they don't want you to use, your app will be rejected. Yeah, they'll reject exactly. it. Exactly. So it's it, it once very again, tricky. It's, mm. yeah, it's, yeah, and it, it really it does kind of change the class of software that it makes sense for us to be working on. And we definitely do run into a reasonable amount of frustration where we want to do a particular thing. And then we say, oh, no, we we can't do that, though, because they won't allow that in the Mac App Store. It is kind of frustrating, but I do understand. I mean, the reason they're doing it is they want to be the ones that they want a very defined wall between the operating system and the applications that run on it. And there's a whole class of software that historically on, on every operating system has sort of enhanced the functionality of the operating system itself. Mm. And that whole class of software, to some extent, Apple is saying, well, we don't really want you doing that anymore. We don't want you to enhance our operating system. Well, essentially, yeah. And they're coming at it from a security point of view. Um, and th- they... They are doing some things that strictly from a security point of view are very good and very good ideas. The sandboxing of applications is a really good idea. I mean, what it essentially says is that no application can touch or do anything with another application's files or anything else with it, which is a good concept to prevent other applications from crashing, et cetera, et cetera. But it creates a whole lot of limitations in there, too. 
I mean, uh, it, it, is, it is hard to criticize them. The concepts that per se are a good idea security-wise. Right. It's when security uh, stifles innovation and stifles functionality. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, I also do wonder, could they not, and I guess this is more a question for Apple, but you might have some comment on this, could Apple not transfer the control of what access other apps can have to any given app to the developer. So if I develop an app, I can choose uh, to lock out, if you like, other apps from accessing uh, uh, my file space or my audio stream or my display uh, stream or anything like that. Yeah, uh, they're taking a slightly different model. You need uh, something called an entitlement. Let's say, for instance, you want, you're writing an application and you want to be able to print. Right. You have to specifically say, in a sandbox application, you have to specifically say, I need access to a printer. And that's an entitlement that a, a sandbox application normally doesn't have. Okay. Where the problem comes in is um, whether Apple will grant you that entitlement. For instance, if I have an app that doesn't look like it has anything to do with a printer, but it asks for this printer entitlement, they can reject it. And the other thing is that they still don't have everything fully worked out. They know that this sandboxing model is going to break a whole raft of things, including the audio units, including a whole lot of other plugins, you know, third party plugins for uh, web browsers, for instance, will no longer Mm -hmm. function, stuff like that. And they still haven't really figured out exactly how they're going to do everything, which is why we were kind of taking a wait and see attitude to see whether they're going to actually figure this out. And the problem is <laughs> it, it took, it was a moving target for us that we made the decision to wait. And then they kept on pushing back and pushing back the date that sandbox applications were going to be required. And we were in a situation where we had waited for them and we really shouldn't have. Yeah. I guess it's mm. uh, hindsight, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty vision, isn't it? Uh, you know, the fact that yep. Apple's pushing out this uh, deadline, you don't think they're actually going to do a U-turn on this and not bother at all? Maybe they think that it go back on worked the out that it, maybe it's too hard. Maybe they break too many things that people are going to want to use. We are just going to, going forward, you know, now that we've kind of been stung with waiting <laughs> and, and not being rewarded for waiting, uh, we're approaching it from the point of view that we're going to write everything with sandboxing in mind, but not stop working on anything until they wait and figure it out because you, you do raise a good point. Um, I think that sandboxing is here to stay. It's a matter of when they actually start requiring it. And it's a matter of how they work out the entitlements so that a lot of software that people are used to using still functions. Let me understand this. So right now, from a technical point of view, can we hijack audio from an unsandboxed app? Not necessarily in, in uh, Wiretap Studio the way that's been written now, but if I was, could, could I create an app right now that can hijack audio from an unsandboxed app? It would take a pretty good amount of expertise to do it, but yes, it can be done. Right. So you're kind of getting squeezed, aren't you, really? That's the way I see it, because more yeah. and more apps are going to have to be sandboxed because, uh, well, right. to qualify for the, uh, the Mac App Store. And people are going to want to do that because that's where you sell your stuff. That's a huge audience. Indeed. Right. And not just, not, and not just other applications, but you, we were also heavily considering applications like Safari, iTunes, 
applications that Apple puts out. Oh yeah, that it's are ones. going to be mm. sandboxed. Sure, and sure. They, you know, <laughs> those are apps that people absolutely want to be able to record audio from. Yeah. Now you've been yeah. dealing with Apple. I understand on this. You've been talking to them. Are they are they nice to deal with? Are they nice people? <laughs> are they are they friendly when talking about this issue? Yeah, I mean, um, I I know a number of people that work at Apple, and uh, you know, I mean, people are people. There are good and bad people at every company. They generally do a pretty good job, but they their hands are tied on a lot of the things that they can do or say. You know, oh, just like right. any okay. large company, right? Yeah, yeah. And how but, are your customers taking it? I mean, have have you had complaints or are they oh, yeah. understand? Do you make? But I guess you make them understand, don't you? That because I mean, I've you know I've read the your website and, and the, some of the FAQs on this, and you do describe it really well. So do your customers understand that or are there still some that really don't get it and, and they're just, you know, point the blame at the developer at, at Ambrosia? Um, I think most of it is probably focused on, on us as a developer. And from a customer point of view, I completely understand that. You know, from their perspective, they have this application and they expect it to work. And, you know, what we do or don't have to do behind the scenes to make that happen, it doesn't really matter to a lot of people. They just want it to work. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And look, you know, it's hard to fault uh, a customer for that. I mean, that's that's the way they expect things to, to yeah, go. Yeah, absolutely. I am not faulting that perspective mm, at all. It's just sure, um, yeah. from our perspective, uh, it's There's very frustrating. There's nothing you can do about it. <laughs> Well, there there are things we, we could have done about it. It's just very frustrating because we thought we were making an intelligent choice to uh, figure out a solution, not just for Lion, but also for Lion and sandboxed applications, because we thought that sandboxing was coming a lot sooner than it has ended up coming. Mm. And we didn't want to have to rewrite the, the same problem twice, essentially. Yeah, um, I can but, understand that. Mm. But we also didn't have a finished implementation of the sandboxing from Apple, it kept on getting pushed back. So we never had anything that we could really write and develop against. So it, it was kind of, uh, uh, you know, what, what sounded like a rational decision at the time. In hindsight, I, I wish we had just ignored the sandboxing part of the equation uh, and had just focused on getting it working under Lion, uh, which we are doing right now. I mean, in both uh, Wiretap Anywhere and Wiretap Studio are in beta test right now for per app recording under Lion. You know, I almost bought uh, Wiretap Anywhere as well as Wiretap mm-hmm. Studio. And uh, about the time when I was almost coming to a decision to buy it, uh, that was just after Lion and, and all this happened. And I thought, hmm, I might wait. But, right. you know, but look, just so that our listeners don't get the wrong end of the stick, your application does work on Lion if you're wanting to record the whole audio of the Mac, right? Yeah, that's correct. Um, the only thing that it doesn't do under Lion is it doesn't record the discrete audio from a particular application, uh, but it does do all system audio recording and the other parts of the application are functional. And that's still uh, useful. I mean, it has some use. I mean, you know, oh, yeah. sure, it's not as functional as it would be, say, under Snow Leopard, where it can do per app, but it still has a use, doesn't it? Oh, yeah, absolutely. But I think um, it's going to get really interesting when they actually do uh, throw the switch uh, and start requiring applications to be sandboxed. And especially with the the new uh, mountain lion that's coming out, 
it's going to be really interesting to see what the fallout is from that because there there are going to be just entire classes of software that are <clears throat> just not going to work. They'll disappear. <laughs> I, yeah. I think they will get a lot of negative criticism. Um, they may to an extent, but people also may just look at it from the point of view of, you know, why doesn't this application work? Well, it's uh, the developer's fault. And I think it, uh, it also will kind of guide developers to start writing different types of applications. Unfortunately, it will kind of restrict you from writing Useful writing. Ones. Yeah, well, not necessarily useful because there is quite a bit that you you can do, obviously, in, in a sandbox app. But there is a whole lot of uh, inter-application functionality that sandboxing specifically makes really difficult. For instance, a, an application doesn't have access to the file system anymore. When the user uses the, the open or save panel, that is a totally separate process that has permissions to access the file system, but you can't access files in your application from any other app. So there's <laughs> oh a whole my God. lot of There are going to be a stuff. ton of apps which are no longer going to work. Yeah, it's going to be. System. And there, there are <laughs> hamperings of AppleScript and some other things. It's going to be really interesting to see oh uh, what happens. Oh, uh, and well, another example is third-party audio drivers which are used for, you know, there's some audio gear that, that has them. They, at least currently, don't load in sandboxed applications. Oh, wow. This is, so, this is really a lot know? bigger than I thought it was. It's, it's a massive, it's exactly what I was telling you about when we were talking off the air earlier this week, Edwin. The Mac is turning into a giant iPhone. The Mac is turning into a big iPad. That's what it is now. And, and you've got all of these little apps which can only do their own thing and they can't interact with any other apps and they can't interact with the computer and other parts of it unless Apple has said you can specifically, yes, you can interact with that one. It's going to stifle so much development. Well, that, you, can't that is... have your, you can't have your teenager in this garage tinkering around with stuff anymore. He's going to have to pay a subscription to Apple to be able to do it. Yeah, I mean, that, that is a, a fairly accurate assessment of it, I think. It is also possible that, you know, as they try to implement this, they realize it's not going to work or they come up with some clever schemes or they relax the entitlements over time, which might happen as well. Uh, and there are any number of things that could happen. The problem is that, you know, <laughs> developers like us are kind of waiting for Apple to do something so we can figure <laughs> out what will or won't work. And there are certain things that the answer right now is that there is no answer. You know, there is no way to do X, Y, or Z in a sandboxed app. Will that change over time? It, it might, you know, hopefully. Wow, so we're going to have to watch this space. This is yeah. uh, look. I'm 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 glad you've explained this to us because and our listeners because there's a lot more to it than I I first thought. And when I say a lot more to it, I don't just mean in detail, but I mean in in substance and in, in moving forward. You know, the next uh, mountain line and the implications of restrictions for other software. Yeah, other developers going through what the same thing. What you'll be able to use your machine to do. You know, at the back of my mind, though, I'm thinking. How do they do this in Windows? Because I might be wrong about this, but I thought Windows had a similar sandboxing concept, at least as of, was it Vista or Windows 7? Yet 
there are still utilities in Windows that Indeed, you can Indeed, because uh, all of them I still don't have access how that to all the different mm. parts. I don't know um, whether you can answer that. The model, the model that they're using is different. The Apple model is essentially, you know, each application is its own walled off independent thing. So their kind of methodology is deny everything and the application can apply for certain entitlements. But I think the real rub here is just that uh, not everything has been worked out in terms of how it's going to work. Let me give you an example. Uh, Our Wiretap Studio, if you buy it in the Mac App Store, when you launch it, it asks you to download something from our website. And that is the component that allows the system-wide audio recording. That component that we wrote would be rejected if we submitted it to the Mac App Store. But Um, you're allowed to have it as it is where it downloads it separately? They are fine with that. (laughs) It it can be a separate separate component that gets downloaded and and they're okay with that uh, as long as it isn't part of the actual app that is in the store. And as long as the user is asked, hey, do you want to go download this thing? And I think that's a concession to reality in that there are certain things that just have to be done. <laughs> that, that's really um, interesting because you could you could take this to the extreme and create an app that's nothing more than a shell that goes and downloads the real app. But they would probably reject it. Oh, would they? Um, do, do they yeah, actually I look mean, quite closely? Do they scrutinize? Oh, yeah. Oh, oh okay. yeah. Oh, yeah. Do they I have mean, access down, to your source code as well? Um, they don't have access to the source code, but they do have a whole lot of automated tools that go through and essentially disassemble the source code. Oh, I see. Right. And, and right. look for, you know, are you using any APIs we don't want you to use? Are you doing things we don't want you to do? Right. Uh, and it will just automatically reject the app in that case. Um, <laughs> so you could create a really useful app and then because you're using an API, which mm-hmm. for whatever reason Apple has decided you can't or shouldn't use, then they right. reject it. But you right. know there's From, up front though, right? I mean, if you've read the, yes. the documentation, well, you know there's yes, up front. Yes and no. I mean, we do know uh, we do know things we're not supposed to be doing and we do know the type of thing that will get us rejected. We still do occasionally get rejected for things that you know we had no idea we'd get rejected for. But to continue with that example, so you download that additional piece of software uh, from our website that enables the <clears throat> the system-wide application recording, uh, that's fine. We, we've sidestepped Apple on that piece of it. The problem comes in when applications are sandboxed. They no longer are loading the, the piece of code that we need in there to tap into the audio stream. And this is coming at it from the other angle where the application you're trying to record from specifically is denying you the ability to tap into the audio stream. So I think you can see how those are two entirely separate problems. Right, right, mm. yes. Yeah. Wow, what a big challenge. Now, there are five names listed, or at least five developer names, I should say, listed against Wiretape Studio. Your name's one of them. What was your sort of contribution? What was your uh, coding contributions? <laughs> my, my coding contribution in there was almost nothing. But I did design the look and feel of the app and uh, the feature set and some of the the cool features that are in there, like the uh, the lossless recording. Uh, oh, was, yeah, that's good. Yeah, yeah we use was that one of the time. things. The uh, the live preview was another thing that uh, we actually just got a, a patent for that, which is kind of cool. That is really uh, cool as well. I I use that sometimes just for effect. I'll feed something through and and use the 
the live preview. The other thing I, I really like is the the wide range of file format supported. I don't know if that's right. something that you had to code especially or your team had to code especially or whether that's just something that, that the Mac sort of base OS offers, but it's really fantastic. Yeah, well, no, nothing is for free. Some of that stuff was kind of custom and uh, others of it, uh, you don't really get them for free, but they are uh, you know, encoders and decoders that come with the operating system. Yeah. See, I don't think, you know, I, I get the impression that most people really have no idea about the challenges and the amount of work involved in producing a piece of software like this. I think that's probably true, but we also try to look at it from the consumer's point of view. And, you know, if I'm going in to buy a car, I don't really care <laughs> how much work it takes to <laughs> make that car. How much sweat and tears, Wyndon. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 yeah, I want it to work. I want it to sure. take me from A to B and I don't want it to break down. Yeah, um, yeah sure. Yeah. You know, and, and I think that that's really, especially, you know, now that um, computers are incredibly mainstream uh, and even more mainstream with the iPad and, and, and iPhone, it really makes sense that that's people's perspective is, you know, here, I've got my thing. I want it to work. I don't need to know or care about what it takes to do it. <laughs> yeah, no, that, 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 yeah, that's understandable. I mean, look, I, I, look I'm, I'm like that myself, really. I buy something and all I want it to do is to work. I don't really <laughs> care how difficult it was. Name the price. Here's my money. As long as it works, I'll be happy. Exactly. And I, and I do think, you know, coming full circle, that is kind of Apple's uh, reasoning for attempting to do what they're doing is they want the applications to be completely isolated so that they can't screw up your operating system. They can't screw up other applications. There's this independent component that just works or doesn't work, but can't affect anything else. And the Empire it, it is, yeah, it, it is a laudable goal. But if you want a real does, computer, it's got to be a PC then, obviously. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it, it certainly does restrict the type of software that uh, you can write. And, you know, Apple's sort of perspective on this is, well, the security matters more. And also you can still sell your applications on your own if you want to. You know, you don't have to put it in the Mac App Store. Mm. Um, I think that at some point in the future, that may or may not be a good argument because I think people will get used to getting all of their applications from the App Store yeah. and may, may not come synonymous. to well, and they may not come to trust anything that yeah, you have to get yeah. elsewhere. Yeah, that's true. You know? I mean, you know, if every other app was sold to the App Store and White App Studio wasn't, it would be no use, would it? Right. Because right. And you're kind of almost relying on those apps also not being sold through, through, the, uh, through the App Store. And that's it, the dual problem that we faced with the audio recording. Right, it's right. that, you know, they rewrote how it worked on Lion. And then we also had the issue of sandboxed applications, which would block what we're attempting to do from an entirely different end. Wow. Yeah. I didn't realize wow. that there was so much to it. Look, I'm really glad we had this discussion. It's really explained a lot to us. And Andrew, I'm, I'd like to thank you really for taking the time to, to explain this to us. Yeah, no problem. I've uh, enjoyed being able to air it. And uh, we're, we're hoping that we're going to have a fix for all this stuff really soon. Now, before we uh, just move on to some of the other stories, uh, currently YTAP Studio is available uh, how? Uh, it's available on our website at www.ambrosiasw.com. Uh, and it's also available in the Mac App Store. Um, you can just search on Wiretap and uh, it'll bring it right up. Great. And, you know, I'll, we'll put a couple of links in our show notes as well straight to the uh, YTAP. Uh, pages there. 
All right, so looking at some of our other stories, the SMS text message is 20 as of last week, 20 years old. <laughs> you know, that's probably one of the Happy most birthday. underrated, or at least it was in its time. It was the most, it was really underutilized when it first came uh, out. I text more than I talk on the phone. Do you? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. See, four I, I think billion you, people enjoy the texts. How many? Several trillion texts were sent last year. <laughs> you know, the thing is, I might be old-fashioned, but I just find it easier to to dial a number and talk instead of thumbing through all these buttons. I text way more than a than I call. I think part of it is it's really nice for just really quick messages. You know, you don't feel like getting engaged in an entire discussion with someone. You don't want to say, Hey, how are you? I haven't talked to you in a long time. If you, you need to just pass on like a little piece of information. Oh yeah, sure. You know? yeah. 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 That's true. That's, that's really good for that. But you know, you, sometimes you see, you know, like teenagers having text f- conversations, full conversations, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. I don't know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you could just oh. call. <laughs> now, who knows? They may end up being socially retarded. You have no idea. I mean, but yeah, well. I, I'm sure with, that. With arthritic same, thumbs. Yeah. Well, I'm sure that the same conversation was had when telephones started becoming more prevalent. You know, people said, ah, oh, you know, who wants to talk to someone when you can't see them? You know, I oh, just. Oh, yeah, I suppose. Uh, yeah, I, I, want, I guess I it's all the, relative, isn't it? I want the, the face to face, you know, whatever. And I think that. Well, there may be some outliers in terms of people that take it to the extreme. For the most part, people incorporate the technology into their lives in ways that make sense, you know, and, yeah. and hopefully make their lives a little bit better. Mm. And SMS itself didn't really, as you said, Edwin, it didn't really take off until the mobile phone itself became a household item. Especially for the hands, younger generation yeah, as got well. Into the hands mm. of younger generation. Yeah, that's right. I don't know what the the situation was in New Zealand, but I know that in the U.S. there was a, a period of time where we lagged behind a whole lot of other countries in terms of cell phone coverage and speeds. Mm-hmm. And uh, the interesting thing is that the the major reason for that is just we had really really good uh, landline infrastructure, so there wasn't a whole lot of incentive for people and companies to go and invest in uh, the cellular technology, even though it was invented here, <laughs> which is kind of crazy. <laughs> yeah. and, but there are other countries that um, didn't have the, especially, uh, you know, more third world countries that never had that kind of infrastructure in place that as soon as cell phones became cheap enough, I mean, they just exploded, you know? Yeah. In terms of the the SMS, I mean, my understanding is that it originally was sort of piggybacked onto a, a, uh, a small part of the cellular signal that is sent out. Yeah. Um, so it was originally just kind of snuck in there and then it ended up exploding. Mm. And the, the interesting thing about uh, text messaging to me um, is that in a, a lot of countries, uh, text messages were free. And in the U.S., they started charging for them. <laughs> and I don't know if that's changed in other countries and they're now charging for them there too or, or, or what the situation is. You'll be, you'll, I think you'll be quite surprised. If you came to New Zealand, you'd be char- you'd, you're charged for everything here and it's always mm. twice, twice the rate. Yeah. Right. <laughs> it's really expensive here. I mean, we pay, yeah. what is it, uh, 20 cents for a text message. I, I think yep. that seems really high. 20 wow. cents per text. Yeah. Now, admittedly, that's 20 New Zealand cents, but that's still about, what, 15 American cents? US wow, sense? that's a lot. And I know that in some countries where it really took off, text messaging got so popular because it was free. Um, yeah. You know, they were they were charged for making phone calls, so they just texted instead because yeah. uh, it was free. 
And I would imagine the carriers in other countries like the U.S. and apparently New Zealand looked at that and said, hey, uh, people really like this. That's a revenue stream. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> you know? probably exactly what happened. And, you know, it's yeah. actually of high value to the telcos because the text messages can go through when when the traffic's low. You know, you give priority to voice traffic. You know, right. when there's uh, bandwidth, if you like, that's available, that's when the texts go through. And it's really a win-win for the, for the telco, especially if they're charging. Yeah. Mm. Well, I mean, what, what we have here, and I'm sure they have a plan like that in New Zealand, um, uh, we use just, uh, we have an unlimited plan. So we pay a certain amount per month. I think it's like $9 per month. Uh, and we have unlimited text messages. Um, yeah, our plans know, don't get quite that good. We get something, what do we get, Brett, here? 2,000 uh, texts? 2,000 texts. Uh, I think there, I think there are actually, um, there are unlimited plans, but they come mm. with oh, they? more expensive. Oh, They're right. like add-ons to other things like data plans. Right. Yeah, I think for the same dollar amount, we get something like 2,000, which, I mean, for some people, that would be unlimited in the sense that they've never reached that 2,000 limit. But, you know, teenagers probably could easily <laughs> exceed that somehow. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Well, I mean, and part of the reason why you probably have to pay higher prices is just you have the, the sun tax. You know, you've got to, you got to pay the scenery tax. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's one way of explaining it. Um, I'm sure if you look out your back door, it looks a lot better than when I look out mine. <laughs> uh, well, I don't know. I mean, we, you know, we're in Wellington City here, so uh, right here it's probably not that nice, but... Uh, <laughs> Certainly further down south in the, yeah. yeah I'm actually I kind of out in brilliant the, hills around here. I'm kind of out in the country. I, we actually can't even see our nearest neighbor. Oh, right. Are you, are you in a farm or? Um, it was a farm a long time ago, uh, but it's not anymore. It's uh, We're just on 17 acres and we just oh, kind of like nice. the, the, uh, the park-like setting. You know, it's kind of nice. After dealing with people all day, it's nice to come home and uh, not have to deal with anyone. Yeah, that'd be, yeah. That'd be nice. <laughs> that would be, so what do you got? You got some nice fruit trees and orchards or have you, have you got, you know, uh, stock grazing? Um, it's, it's a mix of open fields and just forest. Um, we did plant some fruit trees, but the deer are pretty much eating, <laughs> eating my trees to death, unfortunately. <laughs> Uh, look, I'll, you know, I, the only place uh, I visited in the States, well, there actually two places, was uh, Lexington, Kentucky, where, where my sister got married. And mm-hmm. on the way back out, we were in the middle of a sort of a European six-month uh, backpacking tour. So it was just a fleeting visit in into the US for the wedding and out. On the way out, mm-hmm. we spent a few days in Washington, D.C. But I really mm-hmm. must take a, a proper look around the U.S. sometime. Uh, the thing is, with two small children, it's, it's not going to happen for a while. Oh, believe me, I understand. I, I've been on uh, I've been on trips with our two young kids, and uh, uh, it, it can fun. be absolutely brutal. Yep, <laughs> yep, <laughs> absolutely brutal. And we did uh, we did a. Um, my wife is uh, from Malaysia, so we've right. done the trip over to Malaysia, which is you know I think it's about twenty three hours traveling Ooh, time. Oh wow, ouch! And, uh, with two small kids, that's <laughs> yeah. It's I mean that's the reason why the windows are so small in the plane because you would jump out it otherwise. You know. <laughs> Yeah, look, uh, I, I don't think I'm game enough to, to, to travel long distance with my kids. Uh, certainly not for now. Speaking of brutal, though, what about that OS ten bug where passwords are being logged in plain text? Mm. Now, did you hear about that? Now, there are some, this isn't just all passwords, of course. We have to uh, sort of validate this. It's when you're connecting to a network file vault volume. And it's something to do, as I understand, there's, there's been like a, a debug switch that was left on. 
Which yeah, are, that, that's that's what it sounds like to me. Is that it was yeah. some debug logging that was left in there? Uh, debug um, logging that's been left in there for three months and not fixed. Yeah, that's. Pretty- I think I think the reason why they're probably being a little bit lax about that is it's only if you're using uh, this legacy file vault, uh, which is you encrypt uh, on a per folder basis instead mm. of the entire volume. So I'm, I'm guessing they just figure it doesn't encompass enough users for them to. Yeah, well, I wonder. It's, it's, it's not just the legacy file vault though. It's also network users. Oh really? Okay. If if your profile comes over the network. Yeah, but I think it has to be file vault though. It's only when it's. That's why I understand it, right? It's not just any network connection. I uh, think it would have to be a a network file vault that uses the legacy yeah, where you, you could encrypt just a folder. Yeah, that's the um, way I understand it. You know, I've had a look at my log file because I've made some network connections. There's, there's nothing in there. I've had a yeah, look at I that. Yeah, I think it, you, if you use file vault, you're probably doing it on a per volume basis. Oh, no, I'm not using uh, file vault at all. Oh, well, then, yeah, yeah. you should be good, yeah, good so, to go. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, so, Brett, you're, what, you're going back to Brett's comment, it's it's for those using the uh, uh, legacy file vault. So I, I think it is a reasonably, it's probably safe to say it's a reasonably small proportion. But Brett, you're probably not going to let Apple off the hook so easily, are you? No, no, not for something which is <laughs> I thought putting you might passwords say that. into play tests and they've known about for three months. Yeah, three months is a little bit uh, silly. Yeah, <laughs> it's, uh, it's getting on a little bit, yeah. Maybe now, a has week anyone checked to see if uh, in uh, 10.7.4, if they fixed it in that? Oh yeah, I good question. Just, I, I just I, came out with that the other day. Yeah, I'm running 10.7.4 mm. as well, but I didn't really have a, a decent look at that. Now, Windows 8 apparently is not going to play DVDs out of the box, and that's because it doesn't come with Media Center. It's not really surprising. I actually don't know anybody running Windows 7 who uses Media Center to play DVDs because there are so many other third-party DVD playing software which are just better at doing but, it you know what the, i gotta say this you know for all the mac bashing you've done it's my turn to do some uh, windows bashing the one thing i really like about the mac is that because I, I i trust apple from a developer point of view i trust them to to create i'm saying this now after this uh, <laughs> story about the, the story about the floor <laughs> which seems yeah, ironic yeah. <laughs> but in general i trust the apps they build and yeah. I like, you know, I don't want to have a third-party DVD reader. Just, I well, mean, yeah, but the point is they're not removing Media Center. Media Center is still available. It's just available as an extra if you want to be able to play DVDs using Media Center. Yeah, that's correct. It, what they're yeah. going is in the standard editions of Windows 8, because the vast majority of people with Windows 7 don't, play DVDs with Media Center and because a lot of the devices that Windows 8 are going to run on won't have DVD drives, they're not including a DVD player by default. You can quite simply get a DVD player if you do want to play it. Yeah. And it saves Microsoft money for licensing. Well, I guess I guess their argument is that they can, that. Yeah, they can pass on a, a slightly lower cost to the the consumer i guess that's their argument exactly and yeah <laughs> so i think what? it makes perfect sense and it's not it's not like they're removing the capability for windows 8 to play dvds no they're that's not right. doing that. that's right it's not yeah. that windows 8 is going to come out and suddenly you're no longer going to be able to use your dvd player to watch a dvd it's no windows 8's going to come out and if you want to use windows media center to watch your dvd you will have to 
tell it to add Windows Media Center and probably pay a small fee for it or uh, use a third party DVD playing program. And so, hopefully that doesn't turn into a uh, public perception issue where people say, oh, I don't want Windows 8 because it doesn't play DVDs. Well, that's uh, the thing, even actually. Though, yeah, even though that's Pete, wrong. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But Pete, sometimes they do get the, the wrong story. And, yeah. and then the poor old vendor, that, you know, Microsoft in this case would have a sort of a, a PR-ish or a it's uh, damage like control. Microsoft is, is, is locking down APIs so that people can't access the DVD drive without getting... <laughs> an, You're trying to tie this back to the Apple thing, aren't you, Brett? Of, some kind yet. of token from them first to allow you to. Well, like Andrew said, not yet. You just wait. Not, not when you've got a, an operating system which is, operates on a far more open basis for its APIs. Okay, well, let's talk about open because <laughs> let's talk about open, Brett. I have to Brett, get my because... digs in when I can. You know that, Ed. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm used to it now. We all are. Um, no, but talking about open, what about Microsoft not allowing rival browsers on Windows on ARM? Mm, that one is a, a tricky one. I'm not. I'm there's not, no excuses there. There is no excuse for that one. I, I think using yeah, even iOS, term, you can even get alternate browsers on on iOS. So come on. <laughs> I, I, I don't. I don't know, Brad. I think using the term "open" and Microsoft. I mean, it just feels wrong. <laughs> yeah, I'm with Andrew on this. <laughs> oh yeah, I have to say the way that they're going at the moment, they're far more open than what the Apple's doing. I'm yeah, sure I mean, still it, be able it, to it, access the audio streams from other applications on a PC. Yeah, I, I think that um, it's actually going to be pretty interesting to see the direction that uh, PCs take in the future. Because I really do think that, regardless of who the vendor is, I think it's pretty likely that they're going to be become more and more appliance like, and it's going to be really it's interesting. A, it's a downhill slope because. You're going to have more and more appliance-like things, with which means less and less ability to tinker and develop and innovate. Well, and also think about the massive, massive uh, economy that is out there for people fixing broken Windows machines, for instance. Exactly. You know that have been that have been screwed up by, you know, various programs or you know registry issues or viruses, malware, et cetera, et cetera. Missing DLLs. Uh, it, Whatever. I mean, if, if they actually do address this type of thing, uh, there is a huge part of the economy uh, that's just going to go away. Yeah. And, you know, how much is it going to matter that you're a computer expert anymore if that the solution to fixing things is either to send it back to the company that makes it um, or, you know, push a button and it resets it, <laughs> you know? Yeah, see, I, <laughs> I, I think I, we're going to have it, to watch where this is going yeah, very closely it, because it, it's dangerous grounds. It's mm -hmm. removing a tool for innovation. It's removing people's ability to to innovate and to develop. We're already seeing a dumbing down in the next generation where you get kids who, sure, the kid will pick up an iPad or a tablet device and they'll be able to work it and all that sort of stuff, but they have no idea how it works. I have no idea what to do to make it change a setting. Settings? What are settings? If the thing doesn't have the buttons right in front of them. Maybe Linux will finally get some decent market share. No. <laughs> hey, well, that depends. That depends on whether or not the addition to the, the dumbing down of the operating system is the dumbing down of the technology that it runs on. The thing well, is, just to, to, to draw another analogy that I, I used earlier, think about cars. 
Um, mm. And I, I don't know how old you guys are, but it definitely used to be the case a generation or two ago that, uh, you know, people would work on their own car. <laughs> you know, yeah. they would fix it. They would fix it themselves. They would they would buy a muffler from somewhere and they would put it in and they would yeah. do a whole lot of things. And, uh, you know, these days cars are so complicated yeah. uh, to work on, first of all. And yeah. second of all, the diagnostic tools are only owned by the official dealerships. Yeah, you know, you bring right. it in there, you plug it in and figure it out and away it goes. But your average person these days would know, you know, most people don't even know how to change their oil, <laughs> you know, exactly. let alone do anything more complicated. <laughs> they, they view the car as a, a tool to get them from A to B. And I think it's very possible that that's where computers are going. And I, I don't know, it definitely will eliminate some of the hobbyist stuff that you're discussing, but I don't know that it's necessarily a bad thing from the perspective of seeing the computer as a tool that you're using to get something done. In other words, I, I can, I may not know anything about computers, but they enable me to do something really cool. And that's probably a good thing. Yeah, I guess what really, we're kind of special, right? We like to tinker. We're kind of, we're enthusiasts. Absolutely. We? Yeah. Absolutely. And, but we have to realize we're probably a minority. And as you said, Andrew, I, I think the way the world is going is unfortunately not necessarily down the, exactly the same track that we're going uh, in terms of, you know, the, the computers and what we want to do with them. Right. But yeah, your an- analogy was very good. You're absolutely right. I mean, you know, you, you, as long you as the hardware allows us to multiple boot, <laughs> we're yeah. gonna be okay. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, it's the same <laughs> grace, isn't it? <laughs> it's when that it's when that changes that <laughs> everything is downhill. <laughs> no, you're it's that's absolutely true. I mean, um, if you look at you know the iPhone and the iPad, for instance, I mean they they tried really hard to lock it down and keep people from jailbreaking them, but people still do. Yeah. Mm. The thing is, I'd like to know why people jailbreak them. I can think of two reasons. One, they want to tinker. The other reason, and I suspect this is the biggest thing, is that they want to get you know the, the pirated software for free. Yeah, I, I've had um, <laughs> me personally, even though I am a developer and a tinkerer, I, I haven't jailbroken any of the devices that I have. Uh, you know, with two kids, I don't have the time to be yeah, honest. Sure. But I, I do know a number of people that have done it. And actually some people really surprised me that they did it. Uh, I know, uh, God, I, I think she's like uh, 22 years old girl, you know, has got an iPhone in like a Hello Kitty case, you know, and she's got a jailbroken phone. Did you ask and her I'm what like, for? Did you say why? Yeah. I'm like, are you, <laughs> yeah. I'm like, well, what the hell did you do that for? Well, I mean, I think she had some, you know, more savvy friend of hers do it for her. She did it for, she wanted to be able to customize it. Like the keyboard is pink, you know, oh, and I see. stuff yeah. like that. Yeah, um, you, to get those customizing also, facilities, to give yourself more home screens, to right. change And, and the, also the, the free applications, you know, free, probably meaning pirated yeah, uh, was yeah. part of it too. Yeah. Well, a lot of it is that a lot of developers don't want to be paying $99 constantly every year to be able to have their app in the app store. Yeah. And, and you know, Apple's perspective on that is, you know, <laughs> $99 is nothing. And the amount of exposure that they give mm. you is worth well more than that. Yeah. Look, I, I, and I, I would agree with them to, to be honest. I mean, if, an, if you've got a decent application, $99 is a drop in the bucket. It doesn't uh, go with the open source philosophy, Edwin. 
open source yeah. philosophy no, is no, no, that's different. It's that's developed for free and given for free in community. Yeah, As someone who has children that likes to be able to eat, <laughs> I, I don't mind. I don't mind people paying for software. Um, you know, the- we we have contributed and worked on open source projects, but the interesting thing is that uh, every really successful open source project has had some pretty major corporate backers where people are actually paid to work on it full time. You know, uh, Apache right. is a great example as a oh, web right. server yeah. Yeah. that a whole lot of companies decided that, Hey, you know, it's easier to let some of our, our, uh, our tech guys who like working on this stuff anyway, it's easier to pay them a little bit of money to let them work on this little side project on their own and use the fruits of, uh, of their labor yeah. than it is to develop our own or to buy yeah. it from someone. And it's, it's really the same with just about uh, every really successful open source project out there, Linux included. Mm. I mean, Linux is used all over the corporate world and uh, IBM and a whole bunch of other companies uh, pay developers to work on it. Mm. And, you know, Apple, uh, tying this back to Apple, Apple have contributed a lot to open source as well. Sure. Yeah. They themselves. It's a big, in fact, I, I had this little debate with someone uh, back at the office and they were saying that, you know, Apple just do their own thing. It's a walled garden. They don't contribute to anything. And I said, they do contribute to open source. And, and they were like, really? Where? So I called up this page and there's this page on, on the Apple website that lists pretty much everything that they've contributed to open source. And it's a, and it's an extensive list. Yeah, they, they certainly have done a whole lot. Um, probably the most prominent would be WebKit. WebKit, yeah, uh, definitely, yeah, um, absolutely. Just because it's used on a whole lot of devices, it's used on Android, um, it's used all over yeah. the place. All browsers that actually work properly are based on WebKit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to argue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and actually speaking of uh, devices, I see a comment there from Steve Wozniak that he, what is it, he actually likes the Windows phone? Yeah, he prefers the Windows phone to Android or, or iPhone. He, he was, the, what are you saying? What are you doing? He thinks the user interface... <laughs> Uh, design is prettier, much nicer. Knowing what I know about him, I think he's probably being very genuine about it. And there probably are a lot of things on there that are, uh, are quite nice. Mm. I think the, the real issue is relevancy, you know, both for Windows phone and also for Nokia is at this point, no matter what they do, even if it is a little bit prettier in some areas, does it matter? Yeah, um, they're struggling to get market share, aren't they? I just think that they're so late to the party that they're going to have a difficult time because the value in the iPhone and also the, the Android platform is not just, you know, the operating system and do things work the way that I want them to for basic functionality. It's also the whole ecosystem that's built up around them. And there is a great value to people for uh, being able to go to the app store or the Android marketplace and grab an app for just about anything they want to do. And the question is, you know, what compelling feature is Microsoft and or Nokia? And I think they're really the only carrier that's doing anything with it. Uh, what are they going to be able to offer to get market share? And then that's what is needed to get developers attention is market share. You know, they're not going to work on something unless there's an audience to sell to. Oh, indeed. I'm just surprised that Steve not so much thinks that way. That's I can accept that. I just don't know why he's come out with this comment. I don't even know where uh, this came from. It was actually a radio interview, uh, I think it was. But you know, it's, it's part of what Steve does. He yeah comes out yeah. and he says the what he thinks. And sometimes it is controversial with with Waz, isn't it? 
Yeah. I, I think he just doesn't care. I mean, he's he, yeah. <laughs> he's not beholden to any particular company, even though he helped start Apple. Sure. Um, and, you know, I mean, he you, you got to respect the guy. He mm. quit Apple to do what he wanted to do with his life, which was teach. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. you know, he can he can love <laughs> whatever he wants and yeah. he has yep. his own reasons for doing it. And it's it's kind of refreshing to hear, to be honest with you. I mean, if you hear someone that is constantly a advocate for one thing or another, they're probably ignoring other good alternatives. And they're also probably mm-hmm. downplaying some some bad things to whatever their uh, their thing of choice is. Yeah. I've got his, uh, I was autobiography, and I've got his, uh, the biography that came out earlier as well, and I had that personally signed by him. I met him when he came to New Zealand. Fantastic oh, cool. guy. Absolutely fantastic. Very, you know, really approachable. Just like, you know, if you read up about him, you know, he is, that's an accurate thing, you know, it's an accurate right. description. He's just like right. that. You know, he's he's approachable. You know, he came here for, uh, I think it was New Zealand versus USA uh, Segway Polo. Because mm-hmm. he's in the he's in the US team for Segway Polo, and they oh, were playing. <laughs> yeah, that's a very was thing, isn't it? And they were yeah. playing here here in, just south of Auckland, in New Zealand. And I I went there. There was going to be a talk and everything as well, and a dinner that you had to pay to go to. But I didn't have the money for that. I just went and watched the game, and then I wandered out after the game. I wandered over to the US tent, and I just walked on up, and someone came out, and I said, "Look." Uh, you know, I'm just wondering if I can say a few words to Was, if if that's all right. But if he doesn't really bother, that's fine. I'll, I'll just go away. And they said, no, no, he'll, he'll be pleased to talk to you. And they went and got him, and we had a chat, had a photo taken. Really nice guy. Really nice guy. <laughs> mm. Yeah. So I mean, uh, I, I think that his comments were genuine, and I have not personally used a phone with uh, with Windows Phone Seven on it or Windows Phone Eight, obviously. I'm sure that they, they've done a number of things quite well. Uh, I guess the real question is now, does it matter? Yeah, uh, I that's guess we'll the big question, out. isn't it? It's yeah. absolutely well, right. We'll also see what Windows 8 actually does for it as well, seeing as the with Windows 8, Microsoft are going for the, you know, Windows 8 has both Metro and mm-hmm. Windows on it. So it will introduce the, the Metro environment to a lot of people. And again, we're seeing the convergence of devices and computers becoming more mm. appliance and, you know, tablet or phone like. Yeah, yeah. So this has the Metro, which sits on top of the, the Windows operating system, which you can get to to run all of your other apps. Yeah, it's either going to be exceedingly popular or it's going to be a horrible failure. And I don't know which, to be honest with you. We'll have to wait and see. Mm. All right, well, that concludes the international stories. But right after this, we'll come back with a couple of New Zealand stories, starting off with new press regulations that cover bloggers as well as traditional media. Don't go away. All right, welcome back. Now, here in New Zealand, we're about to get some new press regulations that will cover both bloggers as well as your traditional media, and they'll be mm. covered under the uh, New Zealand Press Council. Now, yeah, but only if they opt in. Yeah, it's going to be an opt-in system. Now, here's the way it goes. What the bloggers will get out of this, if they choose to opt in, is they'll they'll get the same privileges as journalists. So things like protection of sources, exemption from the Privacy Act, uh, access to courts, and so on and so forth. In return, of course, the bloggers must agree to abide by the jurisdiction and ethics of mainstream journalists, and they are in fact bound by a code of ethics that they need to follow. Now, 
I can actually, we can actually go, I thought we might go through some of those uh, just very quickly, just uh, sort of brush over them. The New Zealand Press Council publishes its uh, statement of principles, and there are 11 of them. Number one is accuracy, fairness, and balance. So publications should be bound by those things at all times. Privacy, everyone is normally entitled to the privacy of person, space, and personal information. Mm-hmm. Children and young people, so this is where publications need to consider very carefully before overriding the interests of young people or children. Comment and fact, a publication has to very clearly define what's comment versus what is fact. Headline and captions shouldn't be misleading. They need to be relevant. Discrimination and diversity is number six. Number seven, confidentiality. Number eight, subterfuge. Number nine, conflicts of interest. And I think that's going to be a big one for bloggers. Yes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> number It'll 10, photos, very big one. photos and graphics. And this is where editors need to take care in photographic and image selection and treatment. And number 11, correction. So, you know, they, they need to be willing to correct the errors and be open about that. Indeed. Uh, it's no, <laughs> you, you can't yell that, no, what you said was correct. No, this is this is the truth. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. When somebody else says, no, the fact is that this is the fact. You must change it. <laughs> yeah. So just going back, uh, you know, coming out of this detail for a second, what are your thoughts on the model where – Bloggers can opt into this. They'll get the uh, protections that other journalists get, but they need to abide by these statements of principles. Well, I think it's I think it's a it's a good compromise. It's not just you know saying you're a blogger, so you are a journalist, and and which is what you know we've had those different things in court cases where the bloggers have been going no, but we're protected by the same things because we're journalists, but then they weren't abiding by the rules that journalists must abide by. Exactly. It's got to go both ways, doesn't it? Exactly. It has to go both ways. If you want to be seen as a professional journalist, then you must abide by the rules and ethics and be beholden to the governing body of journalists and journalism in the country. So I think it's a good idea. But for every other blogger out there, they still remain as a public person and have the privileges and protections of an individual and cannot be claiming to be a journalist. That's right. And they and they still don't forget that they still have to abide by the law. So you can't make exactly. you can't make a defamatory statement and just say and say it's freedom of the press. That's right. Because exactly. it's not. Absolutely. <laughs> mm. No, I think this no. is a good move. Uh, you know, I, I just I want- think it's a very good move. It's properly forward thinking. I do wonder whether they'll, whether they'll expand that to include podcasts because it specifically says at the moment that what's covered is content of a newspaper, magazine or periodical in circulation in New Zealand, including their website. And of course, bloggers, I think, you know, uh, blogging is reasonably yeah. well defined. I, I don't know whether they'll extend this to, to things like podcasts, but uh, I, I guess, you know, one step at a time. Mm-hmm. You know, there are some pretty expressive bloggers out there. And as you say, some of them have been trying to to hide behind this, you know, we are the press, so we're, mm. we have these protections. And as you said, Brett, they don't because... Because right. they're not the press. Because they're not the press. Yeah, they're not the press. They're just a person standing up in the town square on a soapbox. Yeah, that's the equivalent of that. Exactly. Mm. Exactly. Good analogy. Mm. All right. And around the world on solar power, this is a good story putting New Zealand in the spotlight there. A New Zealand firm has designed a vessel 
that has become the first to travel right around the world on solar energy. Yeah, I love the name of the company. Yeah, go on. What is it? Low Motion. Low Motion, yeah. L O M Motion, yeah. Low Motion, yeah. That's good. Yes, Low Motion Design. It's brilliant. It was a 60,000 kilometer journey. More than a year. Yeah, more than a year. 584 days. That's what, a year and a half? Yeah. And how much power did it require to drive this vessel at six knots, Edwin? I know. It's incredible. Only 23 kilowatts. That's incredible. (laughs) Yeah. I like the comparison there that it it would take double that amount to provide air conditioning. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Air conditioning alone needs, you know, that would double that figure. So the efficiency of the, the electric motors they were using must be phenomenal. Yeah, and I suspect, you know, I haven't gone into the detail, but I, I suspect also a lot is to do with the design and some of the, the architectural aspects of it as well. You know, it, it's a bit like, you know, when we design green buildings, mm. uh, you know, buildings that are, are very environmentally friendly and, yep, and don't have a big carbon footprint. this will be an incredibly hydrodynamic vessel. Yeah. So it will, yeah, be slicing through. It is an incredibly stable design. They have gone for the trimaran. Yeah, it's a trimaran, correct? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Now we have we have to point out it's it's not this is not completely a New Zealand thing. New Zealand, it was a New Zealand design. It was built in Germany, and the crew is French, Swiss, and German. Mm, uh, but and you know, it's the brainchild of a Swiss engineer. Yeah, well, that's true. Yeah, that's true. But you know, it's uh, but the the technology <laughs> is is Kiwi. Yeah. No, it's it's really really good to see that. Now we did cover also a story some a while ago, didn't they? The uh, the solar powered plane that went round the world. Indeed. So actually, now we've had the, the round the world plane, and now yep. we've got the round the world boat. That's right. Yes. What other form of? Well, there's not really any other form of round the world transport you can do. You can't do round the world land can. because you can't get round the world in, on land, can you? Well, you could <laughs> if you go to Antarctica. Oh, okay. Depending on what how you define. Define around the world because technically, if you get to the South Pole, you could just spin around and you'd have gone around the world. Yeah, well, if you if, if that's how you it'll be the world. slightly less than six thousand uh, sixty thousand kilometers, though. But yeah, exactly. <laughs> or you could, you know, just get off kilter a meter off from the from the South Pole and then run in a circle around the South Pole. I think it means around the circumference at some ah, point. Ah, so you mean more around. Following the rules of a round the world. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, Exactly. Where you've got to cross the equator so many times and by a certain number of degrees. Yeah, that's the one. That's pretty much it then. And uh, land and sea travel around the world. Mm, Done. So, what's what's uh, We've done them both by solar. Maybe we need to do both of them by incredibly efficient wind power. (laughs) <laughs> how would that work on a I plane I can understand I it on a boat I, I don't uh, know how that would uh, work on a plane okay how about uh, incredibly efficient wave power no that's not going to work for a plane <laughs> that's uh, it uh, Brett, it's, it's only solar power we can only use solar power yeah 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 well, I don't know what, uh, what else is body heat <laughs> yeah well yeah, it won't be long probably before we start harnessing that Yep, yep. We'll just strap people into the back of the plane in little pods. It'll be very Matrix. Yes, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I can't see this happening. Anyway, this is a good story, and it's I think it's a great note to end on. So anyway, that concludes episode 166 of New Zealand's longest-running tech podcast. 
Oh, it's a fantastic episode, this one. And uh, I want to thank mm. especially Andrew Welch from Ambrosia Software. Thank you very much for taking the time to talk Indeed. to us. Thank you very much for coming. Yeah, it was much yeah, fascinating. Mm. Ed, Edwin and Brett, uh, thanks for having me on. And hopefully we get to do it again. Oh, that'll be lovely. And, uh, yeah. and if honestly, I do get down to New Zealand, I'm expecting a free beer. Oh, you'll, you'll get more than that. You'll get a free meal as well. Awesome. How's that? <laughs> All right. Look, thank you very much once again. Thanks for having me, guys. And Brett, thank you very much for co-hosting the show with me. Always a pleasure, Ed. And that concludes episode 166. Take care, everyone. See you next week. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Just so that our, our customers, uh, sorry, customers, listeners, I'll say that again. It's a free podcast. They don't pay us. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm really glad we had this discussion and I'd, I'd uh, really, sorry, I'll say that bit again. I'm really glad we had this. It's getting late and I'm, it's all tongue tied. It's two in the morning. <laughs> one more time. I'm really glad we had this. One more time. I'm really you want me to do it? I'll, I'll do it for you if you want. <laughs> yeah, that yeah. might be easier, yeah. This I, can, I can try a New Zealand accent, but I'll probably do a terrible job with it. <laughs> you probably do a better New Zealand accent than I could do an American one. <laughs> Brett tells me that all the time. I uh, Look, uh, you know... This, Does this all of your accents end up being Indian? Yeah, they all, yeah, all converge to Indian eventually. Look, um, I'll, I'll redo this, but I think some of this will go into the bloopers. Okay. Um, look, I'm, I'm really glad we had the... the Take 55. Here we go. Look, I'm really glad we had this discussion. It's really explained a lot to us. Now, just going to pause the, uh, well, not really pausing the recording. Actually, that would be a nice feature to be able to pause and unpause. Yep, we're adding it. Really? Oh, yeah. Um, Wow, okay. I I can't put that on the show, though, can I? You can, I don't care. Can I? Mm -hmm. All right, I'll do that. Uh, that's, That's awesome. That'll be really good.